Men, welcome to this edition of the Everyman Livestream. My name is Jeremy and I'll be your host today. Now, have you ever done something that was really, really hard to do? Something that took time and energy, but at the very end, you knew it was all worth it. You looked at it and you just admired what you had completed. Now, that might have been some huge project you had to do at work. That might have been uh, perhaps something in your marriage that you had to deal with. That might have been a fitness goal. Maybe you exercised really hard, you ate right, and you did everything you could so you could have the right outcome. Well, the important thing here is that as men, we know that if the prize and the result is worth it, we will climb the highest mountain, we'll go to the lowest valley, we'll do whatever it takes. In other words, it all depends on the object of our hope that will determine how much endurance we're willing to put into something. And that is what men's expert and pastor Kenny Luck is talking about today. So take a moment right now and share this message with somebody. Now, let's join Pastor Kenny live from Crossline Church in Laguna Hills, California for part three of the Endurance Series. If you have a Bible, you want to hold a spot in 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to start part three of the Endurance Series. And uh, if you're just joining us for the first time, just a, a, a little review, just so that you're up to speed, or if you're coming out of your fog, here's what you need to know. The big idea in this series is, is that no man fights to start a race, but every man fights to finish his race. Amen? Yeah. No man plans to give up. This is idea number two. No man plans to give up, but every man's commitment to finish will be challenged. Right? So... Uh, in, in preparation, I just kind of started looking at some of the lives of uh, Olympic athletes who medaled, all right? And I, I found this guy, he studied 50 Olympic athletes who medaled, and he came up with four common denominators, okay? Because you know that's a grueling process, right? I mean, you're training in obscurity and by yourself a lot, but he came up with, uh, with four different things that defined all 50. And the first one was before... They got to their first Olympics and medaled. They put in 10 to 15,000 hours, like at a minimum. So they were in the pool, in the gym, on the field, on the track, on the slopes, training 10 to 15,000 hours. So they trained daily, okay? Common denominator number two, relational support. In the journey, right, and to develop endurance, they needed encouragement and that's going to be the that's going to be the topic of part 4 because in part 1 we talked about how if you're going to endure you got to get light right lighter lighter is better right today we're going to talk about how hope is huge next one we're going to talk about how encouragement is essential if you're going to endure but they have that right i mean even to this day how many of you guys know who serena williams is okay she lived with her sister for like 20 years and then now she lives across the street. They hit balls every morning. Every morning they hit balls together. Neymar, Allison Felix, Simone Biles, all Olympic gold medalists, right? Their family is their manager. They have incredible encouragement and relational support in their journey uh, to endure. Third, they mentally battle. So you've got train daily, relational support. Uh, they mentally battle. The uh, 43-year-old gal who is the oldest Olympic gold medalist in cycling uh, told a, a group of athletes at, at this university, said the toughest part about getting to gold was not the physical part. 
It was not letting the voices seep into my mind that were telling me that I wasn't capable. That was the real battle. Isn't this encouraging? It's like, man, they just, it's the same thing. It's like, it's not about what I was doing. It was about the battle between my ears to endure, all right? It was not letting the voices in telling me that I was not capable. And then number four, and this was huge. I thought this was just a revelation. It was the battle to know who they were apart from their sport. Like, it's like, now what? Right? I've, I put in all of this time and all of this effort, and particularly for those Olympic athletes who do not medal, who place fourth and beyond. It's, gosh, I've let everybody down, and, and who am I apart from all this training? There's a, there's a, uh, a syndrome called Olympic depression. And it's because they don't know who they are apart from their Olympic journey and their identity. But, you know, what I got out of all of it was that their hope in the prize was worth the price. In their minds, their hope in the prize to medal and to be an Olympic athlete and to achieve that glory was worth the price that they, that they paid. And so I think every man understands that here, right? I mean, if, if you place value on something here, uh, whatever it takes right here, you're going to get there. If, if this is valuable to you, then you're going to put in the time. Your hope fuels your ability to endure. All right? And that's what we're going to talk about because the Bible talks about hope being something that helps you endure. Look at your notes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. Let's read that passage together as we think about how we're going to endure in our race. Ready? As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to circle because of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here they are, the Thessalonians, they're putting in the work, all right? Faithful work, loving deeds, and then there's that last phrase, and the enduring hope you have. Right, here's the fuel. Here's the fuel of their endurance. The enduring hope that you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the end of the journey, who's waiting for you? Jesus. At the end of the journey, when your ticker stops, when life on earth is over and life in heaven begins, at the end of that journey is the person of Jesus. And he is your enduring hope right now. Some of you are here, and you're like, man, I don't know if I can keep going on this journey. I don't know if I can, I can keep going in my faith. I don't know if I can keep making decisions that show love for God and people. I don't know if I can do that. Take yourself to the end right now in your head. At the end of that journey is your enduring hope. And the prize of his pleasure is what's going to help you pay the price right now. So if you came in struggling... Um, I'm encouraging you to fast forward and get your hope right, right? Sometimes we got to get our mind right, but to get our mind right, we got to get our hope right, amen? We got to figure out what we're living for. And so the big, the big idea here is when it comes to spiritual endurance, God says, write this down, my ability to endure reflects the quality of my hope. My ability to endure reflects the quality of my hope. And what I love about 
the Bible is that it's replete with these relationships where there's one person encouraging another person not to give up, whether it's Jonathan and David, whether it's Paul and Timothy. And you know what it says to me? If that's the model, what's in the Bible is modeled for us, it's meant for us, right? And so I want to take you to a little vignette between the Apostle Paul and another man of God, Timothy, and, and I want you to see how Paul paints this picture, and he's really, really encouraging this other man of God, Timothy, just, you got to have this mentality if you're going to make it, all right? Look at what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses, now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Let's stop right there. And, and there's the mission ahead of Timothy. He's been trained, and now he's going to be training other people. And Paul knows what's ahead of him. And so now he's got to get his mind right and get his hope right if he's going to endure in his calling. Let's pick up there where it says endure suffering. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. And so Paul is trying to get Timothy's mind right and he's trying to get him to think a certain way, and he gives him three pictures, okay? And the first picture that he gives him is that of a soldier, and all of these, these characters, these three different characters in the pictures that he paints, they all have to endure stuff to get to the prize, and their prize is worth the price. And so he starts with the soldier, and he just goes, hey, you know what? There is self-control and self-limitation and focus because the prize of pleasing the commanding officer is worth it to the soldier. So he will self-limit and exercise self-control and discipline his energy and choices because his hope is pleasing his commanding officer. All right, Not a bad picture for the man of God. To please our king. To please our, the captain of our salvation. All right, not a bad picture. Then he goes to the athlete, and the athlete will self-limit and exercise self-control and compete according to the rules because he wants to be on the podium. All right, he goes into strict training, the Bible says, and then he competes according to the rules. Can't just do it any way he wants. All right, can't take shortcuts. Uh, good thing there was there's no steroids back in the first century, right? But there were other things clearly that he had to compete according to the rules, and so that hope. All right, creates discipline and endurance and energy down here for the athlete. And then he goes to the farmer, and what's the farmer's prize that's worth the price? Okay, it's the crops, it's the harvest, right? So out of season, before the harvest, he's doing a lot of stuff. All right, he's walking behind a smelly mammal, he's sowing seed, he's making sure that, that the right uh, soil is cultivated, he's doing whatever it takes out of season so that the prize of the harvest is going to happen. And so you see the connection between hope and endurance and hope and discipline. Disciplined endurance, enduring hope. And so 
what we have there is just, just a kind of a few common denominators that we're going to unpack right now. That's true of you. That's true of you right now and your race and your journey. Write this down. Number one, there's a journey ahead. Okay? We're in today, and then we have tomorrow, and then we have the next day, and then we have the next week, month, years, however long God gives us, but we have a journey ahead. Number two, there's strength required for the journey. Write that down. Strength is required for the journey, right? Number three, there's a work that we need to accomplish, all right? You're made by God, you're made for God, you're going to God, but between being made by God and going to God, there's a work, there's a purpose that he has, there's an intention that only you can fulfill in your context, at your workplace, with your relationships, with your family, with your gifts, with your uh, energy that he's deposited for you. So there's a work to accomplish. Number four, your endurance is going to be tested. Your spiritual endurance is going to be tested. You know, so as you get on the journey with Christ, and you need strength in your work, you're going to be tested. You're going to be tempted to cash it in, to bail out, to give up. And like we said at the beginning, no man, you know, has to fight to start his race, but every man will fight to finish. And then lastly, your future hope has got to be strong. It's got to be strong. I'll tell you what, when I'm, my sword is heavy and the shield weighs too much, and I don't want to put on the armor, I think of Jesus. I think of Jesus. Jesus is waiting. Jesus endured. Look at what Jesus did for me. And so my future hope has to be strong. And the Apostle Paul is saying, we got to think like that. He says to uh, Timothy, think about what I'm saying, and the Lord will help you understand all these things. You know what God is doing right now? He's trying to help you understand what it takes to get to the end. He's helping you understand so that today, right now, right now, you can muster your resolve. You can focus your faith. You can apply your energy. It doesn't matter what context of life you're living in. God has a purpose in that context of life, all right? So let's unpack for the rest of our time how hope is power for the journey, that, that the price, all right, is worth the prize. And let's kind of reset our value on Jesus, all right? Number one, my hope drives my trust in God. My hope drives my trust in God. Every day in the endurance test of faith, the challenge is, am I gonna trust God or am I gonna trust myself? Am I gonna trust my feelings or am I gonna trust Jesus? All right, am I gonna trust the word or am I gonna trust the world? Am I gonna trust culture and what's going on out there? I'm gonna trust Christ. All right, look what the Bible says. Let's read it together. First Peter 1, 21, ready? Through Christ, you have come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. Everybody say this with me. He lives, I live. Yeah, that's your hope. He lives, I live. Guess what? I'm in Christ. I'm living. I'm living forever, right? I'm crucified with Christ and I'm resurrected with Christ, and I'm seated with Christ. That's my identity, and when I know who I am, now I know what to do. That's my identity, all right? He lives, I live. Therefore, because he lives, I live, I'm trusting in God today, all right? 
That future hope of living with God drives my trust in God today. Number two, my hope creates my witness for God. My hope creates my witness for God. Let's read 1 Peter 3.15 together. Ready? You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to... Yeah, you have something to explain. You can explain your faith. Okay? If somebody says, hey, why you, why you live like that? You say, let me explain. All right? Because of Jesus. He's my hope. You want to know what drives me? It's Jesus. He's my hope. You want to know why I'm at Thursday morning Bible study with all these guys, right? It's because Jesus, he's my hope. Want to know why I drive to help a person who, you know, I have to stop my schedule and start helping them? Because Jesus is the hope of my life. Anybody asks you why you do what you do, why you say what you say, a good answer is, you know what? Jesus is the hope of my life. And you just tell them, all right? Without apology. My hope creates my witness for God, all right? He's my number one affection, and he's my number one hope, so I live for him. Number three, my hope changes my attitude toward the future. This is powerful, all right? You live without hope, your attitude toward the future is fatalistic, all right? You become a nihilist, all right? You're just like, like uh, glum in Gulliver. Now, if you remember that reference, you're from another generation. But in the, in the comic uh, animated show, Gulliver's Travels, there was a character named Glum, all right? And Glum, you, he said, how's it going, Glum? They'd always be on some adventure. We're all gonna die, Gulliver. It'll never work, Gulliver. And so that's why they called him Glum, because he, his attitude, he had no hope in the future. But you see, if you have a strong hope, your attitude changes. Now just think about it, all right? Think about maybe when you won the heart of the girl who represents that ring. And the day that you found out, she likes me. Man, that changes your attitude toward the future, amen? It's just like, hey, I just might, this might be the one. Oh, my goodness. And then all of a sudden, man, your brain starts going. I'm going to spend time with this girl. I'm going to, there's a future there. I got I to gotta get that in a row. And I got to stop farting in public and, you know, all this stuff. You're thinking, I got to adjust my attitude and my behavior, okay? My, my hope changes my attitude. Look at what it says in 1 Peter 1.3. Let's read it together. Ready? All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. So back it out. Living with great expectation because God raised Jesus from the dead and God put me in Christ through the gospel and now I am going to be raised from the dead and I now worship with great energy, and then I move it forward. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we've been born again because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. I don't know where you're at emotionally. I don't know if you're depressed or happy. 
or just, you know, in the, in the gray zone, all right? But let, let God's word and God's truth reset your attitude, all right? You should be living with great expectation, all right? Why? Because you're in Christ. And that means that you're gonna be raised from the dead because Jesus was raised from the dead. You've been born again. God wants to make you new right where you are, not in somebody else's life, not with all your circumstances resolved, but right now, right where you are. And your hope changes your attitude toward the future. And when my attitude changes, I'm able to endure. Amen? All right. Number four, my hope defeats pressure and persecution. My hope defeats pressure and persecution. You know, you want to you get some light reading, just pick up Fox's Book of Martyrs. And it tells the story about how hope in Jesus defeats pressure, it defeats persecution, and it defeats the fear of death. You know, I think about Polycarp, one of the first martyrs, who's a bishop in the early church. And when Nero was hunting down leaders in the church, a, Roman, uh, a group of Roman soldiers finally found Polycarp. And uh, he just asked for one, one hour of prayer, and they gave it to him. And they said, came back out of prayer, and they said, all right, recant, you live. Recant your faith in Jesus, you live, all right? Keep it, you die. And he looks right at them, and he goes, for 86 years I have served him, and he has never once failed me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who died for me? Wow. His hope was set. His hope defeated persecution. You know, think about where Christianity grows most exponentially. It's in the heat and pressure of persecution. You know where the biggest church is? Not in America. It's in China, where they actively persecute people who believe. All right? And so when we look at our own faith and we go, wow, um, what's going what's gonna to pull me through? Because persecution can cause you to stop your race. It can make you pause and reconsider. But you know, if your hope is strong, if your hope is sure, all right, your hope's gonna defeat pressure and persecution. Let's read Hebrews 11.35, ready? But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. So in Hebrews 11, it's talking about people who were able to overcome pressure and persecution because they had their hope right. And again, Jesus Christ is at the center of that hope. All right? Number five, my hope pulls me into God's presence. You know, that's what hope does. Hope is a pulling force. All right? It pulls you forward if it's strong enough. All right? Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19 about hope pulling us into God's presence. Let's read it together. Ready? This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Hello. That's where I want to be. That's where you need to be. You see, a lot of times you feel like, no, heaven and where God is, that's then and there and not here and now. That's not what the Bible teaches. Then and there is here and now. Why? Because of your identity in Christ. You are seated with Christ. You have access to the throne of God. You can go right now, if you're in Christ, you can go boldly to a throne of grace and receive grace and mercy to help in time of need. The question is, 
Does your hope take you there? And do you access it? You know, we can live life self-sufficiently. We can live life insecurely. We can live life fearfully. We can live life confused and in the fog. Or we can get clarity from heaven for our life on earth. But the question is, what's pulling you into the presence of God? The Bible says that our hope, which is strong and trustworthy and is an anchor for your soul, leads you through the curtain, right? Past obstacles into God's inner sanctuary. You know, some of you today, you walked in here, you've just been trusting yourself this week. Like, I got the resources, I got the know-how, I know what to do. You haven't stopped and paused and trusted God and got into his presence. And guess what? I got a newsflash for you. You're missing out. The clarity you think you have could be so much better if you would just talk to God. If you would just let your hope in Jesus bring you into his presence. Before a meeting, before a phone call, before a deal, before you get back through the door in your family, before you walk into the next situation, how about... Then and there, the power and hope of heaven impacting your here and now. How about that? I want that. I need that. But you know, it's a battle, all right? Will I be self-sufficient or will I be God-dependent? The man of God lives God-dependent, and it's good for him. It's good to be that way. So my hope, if it's strong, will pull me into God's presence. And when I'm pulled into God's presence... And I experience his help and power and insight and truth. I'm going to endure longer than if I didn't. All right, let's look at the next, next way hope fuels the journey. Next, my hope turns me away from sin. I can't stress this enough. If your hope in Jesus Christ is strong, you're going to get light when it comes to sin. Because guess what? When your ticker stops, you're going to be standing before Jesus and explaining yourself, okay, all right? Look at what the Bible says in Titus chapter two. Let's read this together. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. See how the two go together? You want to be free from sin, which is a benefit for endurance. You're getting light. You're shedding sin, right? You're shedding every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles and hampers your race to the end. And how do you do that now? Well, you're looking forward with hope to that wonderful day. Everybody say, that wonderful day. Man, you know what my prayer is for that wonderful day for you is that it's wonderful. That it's wonderful. And I don't know when that wonderful day is gonna happen. I don't know if Jesus is gonna come for me, right? He's gonna come or I'm gonna go. But that wonderful day is gonna happen. And on that wonderful day, I want as little of sin as possible in my life. Why? Because he died for my sin. I don't want to be connected to the very thing that put nine inch nails through his hands and his feet and a bloody crown on his head, made his back hamburger and made blood flow from his insides and his heart exploded. That is not a pleasant thing. I don't want the very thing 
that did that to my Savior, I don't want to be anywhere near that stuff on that wonderful day. Amen? Wow. See, that's how we have to kind of take it personal. You got to make your hope personal. Why do I turn away from sin so I can be religious and holy? Absolutely not. It's because that wonderful day is coming. And that's my hope. And my hope is so strong that I'm going to shed the sin. My hope turns me away from sin. Next, my hope sustains me when I feel alone. And you guys ever feel alone in your battles and struggles like me? I mean, some of you today, you just feel really alone. Circumstances, one of the powerful forces of negative circumstances is that they create negative emotions. And negative emotions make you feel alone because you, you, you get the sense like nobody's feeling what I'm feeling today because nobody's going through what I'm going through. And you're going to battle that. And guess when Satan hits right that time? When you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, frustrated, depressed, halted, burdened, grieved, and you just feel like, man, no one's living my life. Everybody's life on Instagram looks way better than my life that I'm living right now. All right? Here's the reality. Everybody's life on Instagram is synthetic and doesn't last. It might for a day, all right? But everybody's going to be where you are, so know that. Number two, you need a strong hope. Look at what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, a little context. Paul is training Timothy how to be a pastor. And pastors run into situations. They run into stuff, you know, people's problems, right? People's losses, people's pains, right? And so Paul's trying to help Timothy, you know, think about, hey, there's a, there's, when people are alone, this is what they need, all right? Let's read 1 Timothy 5, 5 together. Now, a true widow, a woman who is truly alone in this world, has placed her hope in God. She prays night and day, asking God for his help. When you're alone, you're not really alone. Now, a, a widow in the first century is really alone. Might be forced into prostitution. Might have to go live with a relative where she's the third wheel in a first family. All right? Because she's been abandoned. And in the first century, you know, the whole family revolved around the man, what he did, and all that stuff. There was no intellectual independence, no economic independence, no emotional independence for women, all right, at that time. And so if you're a woman, you lose your man, you're going to feel as alone as a human being could possibly feel. And so Timothy is just saying, you know what, that woman, she needs a strong hope in God. Because she's going to circumstantially feel alone. But the reality is, is that God sees her, God knows her, God is with her, God can help her. And maybe some of you guys are feeling that way now. Well, I'm, I'm here to tell you from the Lord that God sees you, God knows you, God wants to help you, and God wants to talk to you. Right now. So my hope sustains me when I feel alone. You know, most, most every night when everybody's asleep. You know, I don't know about you, but I have walk-around pressure. How about you? I don't talk to anybody about it. I'll talk to God, but I'll talk to, I'll talk to some guys. You know, I'll, But there's kind of things even that I keep to myself. You guys do that? Okay. So I'll walk. There's a, there's a little bridge between the jacuzzi and the pool out my back patio door, and I'll walk across the bridge, and I'll get on this ledge. Okay, 
and just just remember it's late at night and hopefully nobody has night vision goggles, all right? But I'm, it's just like this. And I'm just looking up at Saddleback Mountain. And in the Bible, mountains are challenges. So when the psalmist says, my eyes look to the hills, all right, challenges. My eyes look to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I don't know what your mountain is, but your maker is bigger than your mountain. Amen? And sometimes you just have to go, all right, I feel alone. I will be alone, but I'm not alone. I'm not alone. And I don't know where your place is, but you just need to breathe, look up, and, and, and know that you're not alone. And when I see all that order, and I see those stars, I'm like, hey, can you throw a little bit of that order right down here into my chaos, you know? And then I just re-surrender my life, all that I am, all that I have, all that I hope. And you know what? After I do that, you know, and everybody's still asleep, and I close the sliding glass door, right? I don't feel alone anymore. I feel like somebody's with me in it and carrying my burden. So my hope sustains me when I feel alone. Next, my hope fuels my faith and love for people. My hope fuels my faith and love for people. Look what it says in Colossians chapter 1. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people. All right, so the Colossians, A plus on faith, A plus on love for people. Where does that come from? All right. Which comes from your confident, what? Comes from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. Isn't it interesting that when your strong hope is in God and your faith is in God, right? You start loving people in the present better, right? But your, your hope has to be really strong, right? So this changes this. Now, if you're struggling relationally, all right, and you're how you love people, all right, you got to get this straight. Because you get this straight, these will straighten out, right? You don't have this straight, you're going you're gonna to keep on acting like a jerk. You're going to keep on acting selfish. You're going to do selfish things. You're going to feel entitled. You're going to want other people to serve you, et cetera, et cetera, because this is off, all right? Your hope, you put your hope in something else. It's not Jesus, because when your hope is in Jesus, your relationships get better, because he sets you straight, and he'll tell you, do that thing that shows love for me with people. That's how it works. So my faith fuels my faith and love for people. My hope fuels my faith and love for people. All right, two more. Next one is my hope preserves unity and peace with believers. My hope preserves unity and peace with believers. You know what? You know what's uh, just uh, fascinating about the Christian community is that we do a really good job of shooting our own. Same hope, same Lord, same destiny. And yet, we compete, and we can't get along, and we analyze and critique and judge, you know? Instead of preserving unity and peace, and sometimes I have to be confronted on that. Sometimes I can get so self-absorbed 
that I can't see that this is stupid, I need to let it go, and I need to encourage and support my brother or sister in Christ, all right? And I'll tell you what, the devil wins when we're divided, all right? And even that right there, I mean, that should fuel my unity. But, you know, the Bible says that I'm supposed to make every effort, circle that, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. Now, when you're making every effort, is that like medium effort or high effort? That's high effort, all right? So you got to watch your attitude, man. You got to watch yourself. You got to look in the mirror. You got to get some input. Sometimes you need to be confronted, all right? And that's okay. That's part of making every effort to preserve unity in the Spirit so that we can be bound together with peace, right? For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to the one glorious hope for the future. That's Ephesians 4, 3 through 4. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in spirit. Why? Because we're called to one glorious hope. Can we say that together? One glorious hope, right? And then that's backed into unity and peace with other believers, all right? Don't sweat the small stuff. Don't major on the minors. Like my pastor says, JP, keep the main thing the main thing, right? And that's our hope, right? And we can rejoice in so many ways, on so many levels, in so many dimensions because of our one glorious hope. And that creates a lot of unity. So don't major on the minors. Lastly, and this is the best one of all, my hope fills me with joy, peace, and power. Anybody up for a little more joy, peace, and power this morning? You know, I'm, man, that's in short supply. But you know what? If my mind is not right and my hope is not right, if I don't have a strong hope, if I'm not focused on my hope, those three things are not going to fill my life. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. And I want us uh, to read it together. Ready? I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So question for you this morning, what are you hoping in? Next question, is it delivering or disappointing? Do you have increasing measures of joy, peace, and power in your life? Better check your hope. Better check the source. I love how, how this is set up in Romans 15, I pray that God, the source of hope. You're flagging, you need a source of hope. Where are you going to do for that hope? A bottle? All right? Porn? You know? Titles? Position? Visibility? Fame? Social acceptance? Where are you going to for that hope? It'll deliver or it will disappoint. And make no mistake, wrong sources of hope deliver in the moment, but they're not sustainable. All right? God is eternal. All right? God has, is unlimited. God is infinite. He never runs out of hope. He's infinite and he's the source of hope, which means he has unlimited supplies of hope for you right now. The question is, what's your source? All right? And that's my prayer for you. It's the same prayer that the Apostle Paul has. I'm, I'm praying right now that, that God, the source of hope, right now, will completely fill you with joy. Maybe not joy from your circumstances, but joy from him about your circumstances, that he's at work, the joy of a promise that you're gonna be okay, and the peace that comes from knowing and trusting him, that I'm connected to him, 
and that gives me peace. And then, then I can overflow with power. See, hope is power. And that's the headline for all these dynamics of hope is hope equals power for the journey. That's what the Bible says right here in Romans 15, 13. See, sometimes I'm tempted to put my hope in other things. I'm tempted to put my hope in a good plan. You know, it's a good plan. I want to get to point B, and I'm at point A, and I have a good plan to get there. Sometimes I put my hope in the good plan, right? Sometimes I put my hope in people, and I make people, you know, kind of my savior. Oh, if they come alongside me, then it's going to be all great. Or if they like my thing a lot, and, uh, and their thing fits with my thing, you know, they're going to work with me, and then we're going to go forward, all right? Sometimes I put my hope in that. Sometimes I put my hope in working hard, which I know how to do. And I know a lot of you know how to do that. Guys like to work hard. Yeah, work hard? You know, that's the myth of, you know, if you work hard, you can achieve anything, you know, right? Well, it's hard to do it without hope. And so there's this dynamic, all right? But the Bible says this. It says, and this hope will, um, will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. That never disappoints. God filling your heart with his love, that hope never disappoints. And so let's pray. Let's put down our pencils. Let's stop where you are. And let's reset and reconnect a little bit with our hope. Lord, we know that um, we got into this race with a lot of hope. But we are fighting to the finish. And I know, God, that there are some guys here who have been thinking about just giving it up, cashing it in, saying yes to the flesh, the world, the devil. And together, and we don't know who that man or men are, but we raise the shield of faith to protect them right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, we know that every man's commitment to finish will be challenged, but you tell us very clearly that our hope defeats the evil one. It defeats the pressure. It defeats persecution. Lord, thank you that you are an attitude changer. Thank you that, Jesus, you, you drive my trust in God and you turn me away from sin. And Lord, this morning, we're coming to the source. We need your hope. And we need it so that we can endure our race. To put in our time, to train, to make very hard decisions that say no to the world and say yes to your word. So Lord, we need hope and we ask you to give it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, forgive us for trusting in things that cannot deliver hope and disappoint. And Lord, we eliminate those right now. They're not gonna be our source of hope, but we're gonna replace them with you. You are our hope, Jesus. We are crucified with you. We are resurrected with you. We are seated with you. And that gives us joy and peace right now. And we're gonna trust you today. We're gonna trust you. And then, Lord, I'm thanking you right now that the hope that is gonna overflow from that trust is gonna bring power into every challenge, power into every man, power into every relationship as he walks with you. In Christ's name we pray. And God's men said, amen.